How do you choose a yoga teacher training in 2020? So one of my most popular episodes of this podcast was how to choose a yoga teacher training. And that was made back a year ago in September 2019, which actually seems more like about 500 years ago. And it was a very different world we lived in, but that still holds if you go to an in-person training, uh, maybe in two years when that happens again, uh, or whenever that is. But for now, if you're thinking about doing a teacher training, it's probably gonna be online. And most of them are online. My next one is online and all of mine from the beginning have been online because I felt that's the best way to learn and teach this stuff because so many advantages to it, uh, which I've covered in previous episodes, but I'll talk a little bit about here too. And I'm going to share 15 questions to think about when choosing your online teacher training. And it just blows my mind because when I was making my first online training, there was very, very few, maybe one or two that I could find that were like actually decent and not just somebody throwing up a bunch of videos and saying you're a teacher. Right. So now suddenly all of them are online. So it's a very different world. How do we navigate it? How do you choose one that works for you? Unfortunately, I just talked to another student uh, today who signed up for a training. It turned into be they had to move it online because of COVID. And she feels it's very disorganized. She's not getting her money's worth. She's very disappointed with it. And uh, she's considering dropping out of that. And I addressed that in my recent episode about how to uh, save a disappointing teacher training. So unfortunately, that's the case where a lot of in-person studios are just moving their in-person training online. And uh, because of the way things are set up and the, the whole standards of teaching yoga, it's, it's very loosely defined. So you could just start meeting on Zoom and call it a teacher training and just start talking randomly about yoga and nobody's going to stop you. And that's unfortunately the case. And you can just not really learn anything. Uh, so... Uh, there's not really any standards for yoga trainings. Uh, the teacher has to uphold those standards themselves. So you've got to find a teacher that you really like and resonate with, and you know that they've got a good structure. So I'm going to address all that in this episode. Uh, but just know that just because someone's Yoga Alliance registered, it doesn't really mean anything. And you don't need that credential. It's not really even a credential. It's just a registry. So it's, it's a little misleading. Uh, people think, oh, I need to have the Yoga Alliance. I've never been asked for it. And I've worked at over 20 different studios and places uh, and only two of them even asked to see my teacher training certificate. It's all word of mouth. It's all skill. It's all going in, doing an audition. And if somebody likes your style, then they'll hire you or going out and creating your own things. And if you're genuinely creating value for people, people will come to your classes and you can make a living teaching yoga. So it comes down to actual skill and experience and word of mouth and just building a reputation of being good at what you do because you're continually learning and making sure you're improving and doing the best that you can. And just sending in a couple hundred bucks every year to this registry does not mean anything, right? Anybody can do that and be on that list and, you have this Yoga Alliance tag you can put on your website, but it doesn't mean anything. It's it's not actually a credential. It's not actually a certification. It's just a registry. It's like paying to put your name on Craigslist and say, I'm a yoga teacher, except instead of Craigslist, it's Yoga Alliance. And it's not that simple. Of course, they do some, they, they're trying, they're trying to improve. And last year they made a big push to really try to improve things, uh, but it's it's not necessary and I'm not affiliated with it. I, I don't pay them the annual fees. I did it my first year as a student and uh, my teachers don't do it and, and I don't need to do it. It's, it's, I see no benefit to it. So uh, I don't think that's required and it's not something that I do as a teacher or uh, 
think that you need as a student either. So that's the, the main thing. The first thing to think about is like, okay, well, all these schools, uh, they have the Yoga Alliance thing that seems important. It's not important, right? It's just the registry. So if they don't have it, doesn't mean anything either. It's just if, if this teaching is good, that's what matters. So number one is thinking about who is leading your training and do you resonate with them? Take their classes. If you've never taken their classes and you sign up for their training, you're likely going to be disappointed. Now, of course, you could like their classes, but you go to their training and it's just disorganized and they're very good at one skill, but not good at the other skill. So that could happen. So that's why you want to address some of these other questions I'll talk about. So number two is what's the schedule and does the schedule work for you? Because if it doesn't, obviously you're not going to be able to do the training. Is the, Are the classes recorded? Can you go back and rewatch them and uh, process everything you've learned? And for me, my first training, there was so much great information uh, and I actually had to miss a couple classes and that was it. Like it's just, it's once and done, it's gone. So if those classes were recorded, of course I would have watched them. If if the classes I went to were recorded, I would have rewatched them countless times. And I feel like I learned really well that way. And one of my first trainings, or first teachers that I learned from online, uh, she, it was a video, it was a website with video recordings. So I could rewatch them and I rewatched them until I could just without even thinking about it, repeat what she said. So that's how well I integrated it, where I just got it down. And I think a lot of this stuff in yoga is complex and complicated and it takes repetition to to learn it so uh, if the schedule allows for you to miss classes even better if you can rewatch them in video you know obviously you want to aim to be there most of the time in person if you can so make sure the schedule works for you number three is what styles will you learn in the training so are you just learning vinyasa yoga that's good uh, there's a lot of people who love vinyasa yoga you can easily find work teaching vinyasa. You can easily find work teaching any style, yin, hatha, gentle, power, vinyasa, right? You've got to find what resonates with you. There's a lot of kundalini. There's so many different styles out there, yoga, nidra. I actually teach a bit of all of them, which might seem like, well, I don't want to be a generalist. I want to really be good at these things. There's not that huge of a difference, right? When you go from like yin to power, that's a pretty huge difference. But in the big scheme of things, when you look at stira, sukha, asana, and the yoga philosophy, it's not that huge of a difference. And it's very, very helpful to have this wide range of skills to serve any student you work with. And I think this is the root of teaching that comes from Krishnamacharya, who's considered the sort of father of modern vinyasa and hatha yoga. So he brought yoga to the West uh, and he, he taught Iyengar, who taught Iyengar yoga. He taught Patabi Joyce, who taught Ashtanga yoga. His son went on to teach, uh, eventually, was essentially like Vini yoga or Hatha yoga, as we know it, or gentle yoga. So all the modern styles and approaches to yoga go back to this teacher who didn't teach just one style. He taught to the student in front of him. So ideally, I think it's, and, and the teachers that I've loved and worked with the most are, are able to teach to the student in front of them. And I think that's better than just one style and ideal. Uh, but if you want to specialize and, and just do yin yoga, great. And just take a yin yoga training. But if you want to be able to, to work with any student you work with, somebody's got back pain, uh, sciatica, uh, broken foot, broken shoulder, how do you engage with these students? You go to teach a general class and someone comes in with uh, hip replaced, you know, what do you do differently? 
You want to know how to address all those different needs. And I think teaching in this way of knowing the different styles, the different techniques, and being able to adapt to each student, you can 100% learn that within a 200-hour training if it's efficient and done well and uh, you don't waste any time on any extra stuff. So it can be very to the point and uh, learn these essential skills to help any student you work with. I think that's really important if I were to just make one recommendation. But if you know you just want to learn vinyasa yoga and you love vinyasa, go for it. Number four, has this trainer done an online teaching before, online training before? Or are they just going to throw up a Zoom meeting and just start talking, right? Or maybe they have a slideshow. That's good. Right? But there's so, so many amazing, unique benefits to teaching online. You can do multimedia presentations. You can see things laid out like there's some videos that I use in my training that oh my gosh they make it so much simpler to understand the yoga sutra and the bhagavad-gita and it's just all visually laid out I like visual uh, depictions of things not just like talking about it so there's a lot of benefits to using a multimedia experience and as I've talked about before a lot of teacher trainings are just you sort of sitting in lecture or just talking about yoga there's a lot of times of just sitting and taking in information now, you could be doing that uh, online and at your own time, at your own pace, when you want, uh, reviewing things. You can have the multimedia experience and not just like sitting and watching somebody talk, right? There's so many benefits to it being online that you want to make sure your teacher is taking advantage of those. With Zoom, having breakout rooms, you can work one-on-one -on -one with your peers, practice teaching, right? There's, there's a whole lot of benefits. Make sure that they at least are taking advantage of some of those things. Number five, what's the curriculum? So what's the plan? Are we just going to uh, maybe talk about down dog one day and you know see what happens? Or is there a structured learning environment? The way I teach, I teach 10 core competencies of yoga. So those include things like anatomy, mindfulness, uh, Vedic sciences, so like Ayurveda and Vedic astrology, which are the sister sciences of yoga, which in ancient India were taught together. So very cool stuff. That's, that's really fun. Uh, it, so anatomy is a huge one and making sure the anatomy is practical and applicable. And this took me many years to find good anatomy training that I really got. And I had to go outside of yoga to physical therapists to find this sort of uh, approach that I have in my anatomy teaching. So you want to know that their curriculum is solid and sound and makes sense and stuff you want to learn. It's interesting, right? Yoga history, philosophy, the context of all this stuff, making it all make sense. The postures, of course, the breath work, mantras, mudras, chakras, nadis. There's so much. There's so much stuff that if you just try to learn it randomly, it's very overwhelming. So that's why I teach in the three-phase approach and these 10 core competencies to break it all down. So it all falls into these categories. And then maybe for a year, you just want to learn more about anatomy. And I've done this in my own studies myself of like, you know, I don't know too much about shoulder anatomy. So I just spend like a year of just like, I'm just going to learn everything I can about anatomy and kinesiology and exercise science. And having these categories that you're learning in, it's easy to find those gaps and to find what you want to focus on. So hopefully your teacher training has a structure that sets you up to keep learning throughout the years ahead and not just like to make it through the 200 hours, but like, how do you start learning about yoga, right? How do you just apply what you're learning and have that be the foundation so you can keep learning for the rest of your life because it's a lifelong study. 200 hours is really just a beginning. 
And uh, any great teacher has done far, far more than that. But it's the foundation, and it's got to set you up for success. Next question, number six is, is it all on Zoom, or is there an online classroom or a Facebook group, a place to connect and communicate and celebrate things? And Is there, like, for me, I have an online class platform. I use Kajabi. It's all on there. So there's videos recorded there. There's bonus lessons, PDFs, downloads. All of it's like this online classroom. It's like a website devoted entirely to your teacher training. So hopefully they have something like that that makes it easy to follow along. You see where you're at in the training. There's all the videos and multimedia is there. And not just like emailing you videos or, I don't know, just having it on a one Facebook group and it's all there. It all gets lost in the shuffle. But I have a separate Facebook group so you can do live videos and you can hop on and, and teach live classes to the group and practice teaching and practice sharing what you're learning. So a private Facebook group, highly recommend if your training doesn't have that, that they use that and have an online classroom. It's not just like Zoom videos and they send you a link or something like that. Number seven is, do you get to practice teaching or is there just one curriculum? And this is actually how a lot of trainings are set up where it's just uh, you learn and take in information. You do a couple of practice sessions in your group, maybe with the, maybe with a peer or a group. Then you have your big practicum at the end and it's like a 20 minute session and you teach and that's it. And that's your training. And uh, I think that's not nearly sufficient to have you ready to teach, right? You've got to practice way more than that. And as I've talked about with learning any skill, right, maybe you've done ballet or dance or art or music. I've been a musician and I've done improv classes. I like to always be a student because it helps me understand how to learn better, just learning any subject. So like when I do my improv classes, I didn't want to go there and just hear about what improv is for two hours. And then at the end of 200 hours, I do 20 minute improv lesson or do an improv session or something, right? It's, it's like, you got to get in there. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to dig in and just start going. And that's what uh, most of my improv classes where it's like, okay, just throw you in and or just start, just go. And same thing with uh, like the art classes I've done. They just, okay, here's the canvas, start drawing. And you just figure it out as you go. And you've got to make mistakes and it's, you're not going to be good at first. Nobody is but you've got to just start doing it. And I think that's so important in your training make sure that they allow you time to just start teaching so you can start practicing everything you're learning. Number eight is what accountability is there? Uh, having an accountability partner is really helpful. Just somebody you can just sort of talk to throughout the whole process. When you have questions, put it in your own words, get perspective, feedback, have some sort of accountability partner and accountability from the class and the teacher. So something I'll do is like uh, with our mentoring sessions, just check in and like, you know, what do you want to do in your practice this week? Do you want to practice three times, five times? Uh, do you have anything you're working on in your own studies? You know, what goals can you set for yourself? Beyond just like showing up and doing the class, we're all doing that, of course, but, uh, you know, having some, some sort of support and guidance and accountability is really important. And in in the case of my training, making sure we're all there at the same time for the, the meetings and doing the sessions together. And hopefully in your training, there's some sort of uh, time where you're doing things together. And if there's assignments, like having scheduled times for those things, right? So accountability measures are really helpful. Number nine, are there any extra costs? So when you pay, 
this person I was talking to today, she was saying she paid for a training, but then they're like, okay, you got to come to this training on Saturday and it's going to be 80 bucks. It's uh, what, you know, that's, uh, it's part of the training and it's got to be extra now. So it should be included in the training. Like anything that's got to be part of the training should be paid for. Like you just put it all in the cost up front. And if it needs to cost a little more then fine, but just make sure that there's no hidden fees or costs that they're going to throw at you later. You know, so you can ask like, all right, so does this include everything? Are there any extra costs I should know about? And uh, one of those might be required reading. So if there's, I could ask if there's any required reading, that's number 10. And uh, certainly would hope that there's at least some reference to the source text of yoga, the Yoga Sutra, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, maybe light on yoga, maybe some sort of reference to the Vedas. Uh, some of these source texts of yoga that are so important and foundational to the teachings, you want to make sure they're at least addressing something from some of those, and it's part of your training because they're really the foundation of the philosophy and the heart of what we're doing. And uh, if there's going to be extra cost for those books, you want to know about that as well. Number uh, 11 is just what is the full cost of the training and are there payment plans? Make sure it's affordable for you. My first training, I didn't know if I could afford it, but I knew I really wanted to do it. I loved yoga and resonated with the teacher, liked the school, everything. And my teacher, before I even really knew him, he said, don't let money be the reason you don't do this. And we figured out a payment plan that I could easily manage. And I did it. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And it seemed at the time, it was like, I don't know if I should do this. Is this the right time? Do I need, does this make sense financially? But I just trusted the intuition. And that's really important. Just trust your intuition. Uh, and I've had so many major decisions in my life where it's like, I don't know if this is the right time financially, if this makes sense. And when I make that commitment, I'm just like, this is what feels right. I'm just going to go for it and I'll figure out the finances. I always do. And I've, that's always the case. You always figure it out and you make it work. And if you need, that means needs, you need to like, you know, work something out and negotiate some sort of payment plan. That's fine. You know, do what you can to make it work. Uh, just don't let money be the reason you don't do it. And I, I found that to be some of the best advice I ever heard because I couldn't imagine where my life would be now if I didn't do that. And number 12, what are the requirements for certification? Do you need to pass an exam, a practicum, attend so many classes, teach so many classes, attend so many of the sessions? Just make sure that's clear and you know what you're getting yourself into. It's usually pretty straightforward. Number 13, is it well organized and fun? Do you, do you want to do it? Is it just going to be Zoom the whole time, right? Are you already working a full-time job on Zoom and now you're going to hop on this Thing that's supposed to be fun and you're just staring at zoom for another six hours right that's not going to be fun and is it disorganized and you're just like maybe they're in a room and you can't see them well and the lighting's bad and the audio's bad right that's all going to be very fatiguing for 200 hours so is it well organized and fun number 14 is there any business training are they going to teach you how to set up classes and take payments and have a website and social media and if you want to do these things are they going to show you even like you know what's possible and how to do it and where to uh, start with all that stuff because it's a whole other world unto itself and uh, most trainings don't cover it very much if at all and uh, there's there's a whole lot of 
very important stuff you want to know that a lot of common mistakes that I see teachers make, maybe overly self-promoting or hiding completely the other direction, just like not sharing anything, feeling like they're being too salesy, too pushy, and just not really claiming their worth, right? So you want to have a good business training that helps you feel okay with earning an income, teaching yoga. It's like life-changing work. It's like healthcare. It's potentially life-saving work mentally and physically and emotionally. It's very powerful stuff. It's well worth people paying 10, 15, 20 bucks to come to your class. It can be so healing and powerful. And just getting that sort of training and guidance that it's like, okay. And even it's, it's more harmful to not charge, to not put yourself out there because people are looking for yoga and they need it. And they, they it's so helpful for them that you hiding or withholding that is actually a disservice to yourself and to others. So that's the heart of any good business training is knowing that you can serve people with your teaching and it can be of service and you can make a living doing it. And it's okay to make a living doing something you love that's genuinely serving other people. Number 15 is just what does your intuition say? So all this stuff aside, and when you feel into like going to that training, signing up for it, where you'll be, Several months later, at the end of it, how does it feel? What does your intuition say? What does your body say? When you feel it, does your body lean forward towards it? Or does your body pull back? Or is it all just in your head and your head is swirling and you can't even quite feel what's happening in your body? Then in that case, do some yoga, take a walk, do some meditation or something to get centered and then reset and come back to it. Maybe talk to a partner or a friend, get some perspective. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, yoga teacher training is one of the best decisions you could possibly make with your life. As long as it's a good training, the teacher knows what they're doing, you resonate with them, you're ready for it. It's like, even if you're not 100% ready, it's like a little uncomfortable. Sometimes that's a good thing too, of going into your uh, zone of discomfort to try something new. And by definition, all growth is uncomfortable, right? So we have to grow and change a little bit and uh, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. We're going to change our habits and routines and our mindsets. And of course, yoga teacher training is a life-changing experience. You will learn a ton about yourself and you will change a ton of your awareness and perception and experience of life. It's it's really profound and powerful. Uh, so it can be a little uncomfortable and a little uneasy and like, oh, no, no, this is a big change for me. Uh, but if your intuition is kind of like leaning into it and it feels good it feels exciting and interesting trust it just go for it you know in worst case scenario uh you learn something and uh you get to go to another training in the future it's a lifelong practice a lifelong study and and you know it pains me to hear these people reach out and say they've gone through trainings and they're disappointing and disorganized unfortunately that is part of the deal right it's not regulated like uh like a therapist or massage therapy. Uh, there's there's so many similar-ish fields that are much more uh, well-regulated. Yoga is not, right? We just have uh, intuition, essentially. And, and fortunately now with the internet, it's like you can just look up the person. You can see all their stuff, right? Do they have a podcast? Do they have a website? Are they putting out classes? Do they res do you resonate with the classes? Are they on YouTube? Uh, you can see all the stuff the person's up to or not doing, right? And you can kind of feel into it, see what resonates. So hopefully this helps you in deciding on what teacher training you want to take in 2020. And uh, maybe in a year or so, if things change back to uh, normal-ish or a new normal, I'll have another podcast with a new update and 
who knows what the world will hold for us at that point. Uh, but I will have a new perspective and uh, new insights then. But if you have any questions I didn't cover here or uh, things you'd like me to cover in future episodes, reach out on Instagram at jeremy.quietmind. There's a link in the show notes. Or send me an email, jeremy at quietmind.yoga. And stay tuned for this podcast. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing much more about my teacher training starting September 7th. It goes until December 21st, 2020, 15 weeks, meeting every Monday and Thursday evening, and registration will be open to the public starting next week, but there is a special invitation-only registration available with a special bonus one-to-one session that you can sign up for right now if you sign up for any of my free offers at quietmind.yoga, including my recent guide to the eight limbs of yoga at quietmind.yoga slash eight limbs. Uh, so if you want to get in on the special early registration this week, you can sign up for those. All right. So thank you for listening and hope you have a great rest of your week.